Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. Today, we're speaking to Dr. Erica. She is a coach, consultant, and podcast host of her podcast, Dr. Erica by Design. Through her platforms, Dr. Erica helps women get clear on their path, unleash courage to step out of their own comfort zone and optimize their capacity to prevent overwhelm and burnout in the process. Dr. Erica believes that within every woman lives a dream and it takes clarity, courage, capacity, community, and commitment to make that dream a reality. Today, Dr. Erica is talking to us about what it was like being a high-performing professional in corporate America and how she overcame her own fear insecurity and imposter syndrome this is an amazing episode and i just had such fun with it i I hope you guys uh, get a lot out of it so today we are talking to dr erica and uh her and i got connected through the podcast universe i have no idea i was she interviewed me and i was like did you contact me did i contact you Anyways, it was such a dope experience that I was like, you've got to come on to my new podcast. And she agreed. And I'm so excited. So we're talking to Dr. Erica today. Uh, I wanted to really talk to her about her experience working in corporate America and some of the challenges that we specifically face uh, as Black women. So Dr. Erica, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me today, Tasha. I appreciate it. I'm excited about the conversation. Yes. So <laughs> if you could um, tell my my listeners, my When We Speak family all about yourself. All right, family. I, <laughs> I don't know how to introduce myself, but like I was telling Tasha, it changes every day. So today I'm just going to give you some words. So I'm a pharmacist by training. I'm a wife. I'm a cosplayer. But more importantly, I am an advocate for women to say screw society and what they expect of you. Go do your own thing. Go find your own joy. Be your own person and live the life that you want to live. So when you're on the rocking chair at 85, 95, 100, you can look back and say, I was amazing. Yeah. Jeez. That part, that last part, I was amazing. Yes. Please, um, when I pass, somebody put that on my, what do you call the thing that, you know, when you, when you pass away the. The headstone, the tombstone. The headstone. I was amazing. I want that on my headstone. Okay. (laughs) I love that. So uh, in thinking about people that I work with every day, people that I know, people that are in kind of my personal circle, uh, I'm typically around high-performing people, right? High-performing women. And you know all about that as a pharmacist. Can you talk about your career trajectory? What led you down that path? You know, if you had asked me this years ago, I would have said I was a hot, heated, confused mess. That's what led me down the path because essentially I grew up during that time where, you know, it's like, go to school, get a job, life will be great. So I did that. I went to school. I got my first degree in chemistry and I thought, oh my gosh, what the world am I going to do now? because the plan was to go to medical school. I don't like blood, so that was not gonna happen. (laughs) So there was no plan B there. So I'm like, well, I have a degree, let's get a master's, why not? So I got the master's. 
in the master's program, again, I don't know what I was thinking when I was younger. Um, I get the master's and I'm like, well, I don't know if I like this, but I'm working in a pharmacy and the pharmacy school is across the street and they make good money. Let's look into that. Let's see if we can combine the master's in pharmacy school. And so that's actually how I ended up in pharmacy school. I didn't have like this longing desire when I was 16 to be a pharmacist. It was just kind of how my path went and got the, the degree and realized that I never liked being normal. Like I was never that chick that wanted to do retail. Yeah. That's just not me. So I had to figure out what was different that I could do. So I ended up going to the dark side, quote unquote, which is big pharma and stayed there for 16 years. 15 of those years were a trial for me. It was a hard time being in that space. Can you talk about, you know, when I, when I just, even in listening to you, so many of us, we try to figure out, okay, what is it going to take in order for me to be quote unquote successful? So we go through school, we do all the things. It's kind of like we have this, this checklist and we're just checking off the box. Yeah. What is it going to take for me to be self-sufficient? What is it going to take for me to be financially successful? to be my, my greatest self. We network, we train, we, we do all the things. And we're so focused on our goals. But can you speak to what were your challenges back then? What were my challenges back when I was going through all those different degrees and things? Well, not the degrees, but once you, once you got done and you got into the career field, what were some of your challenges? You know, one of the biggest challenges for me was... Um, I didn't feel like I was good enough when I got my first corporate job, right? I left pharmacy school and was bam, in this Fortune 500 company, thousands of of employees with years of experience. And I just felt like, did they pick the right Erica? There had to be another Erica that they were supposed to hire that was not me because I don't don't know what I'm doing. Am I doing it wrong? It was all this fear, imposter syndrome, just afraid that I'm going to be found out. That was one of the biggest things, you know? Mm -hmm. So that imposter syndrome, so many people are going to resonate with that. Um, And and I don't know if you'll be able to kind of go back to that time of feeling, am I going to be found out? But when you were going to work each day, dealing with the imposter syndrome, when you think back, how did, how did that kind of show up for you in terms of how you how you did the job, how you presented yourself in front of others, how you showed up in meetings. Um, what did that imposter syndrome look like, you know, if you were to think back to who you were back then? Right. It's so funny. It would it would come and go, right? Mm-hmm. Because I would be on my way to work, be happy, get there, networking with people, having fun at the coffee machine. Then you hit a meeting and it's like you shrink. You know, that, that bubbly air could just shrunk and it's... Mm-hmm you're there quietly listening, like, should I say something? Should I not say something? Is it gonna be stupid? Is it gonna be right? You know, all those thoughts of inadequacy pop into your head. Then the meeting is over and I go back to my office and then I'm feeling sad and upset. Like I should have said that. Mm -hmm. So-and-so said it, I was thinking it and Mm -hmm. she said it, why didn't I say it? Mm -hmm. And so you have the self-doubt, you have this, you know, um, beating yourself up. It's like this entire cycle that just keeps you going down and down and down. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened to me. <laughs> was there a lot of times 
um, or at least it's been my experience that imposter syndrome is linked to like other self-esteem issues. Was that a component as well at any, at any point? Um, any self, well, <laughs> how, how long is this podcast? <laughs> um. <laughs> Not an hour. <laughs> the big question, I know. So the funny thing is I've always had, well, when I was younger, I had self-esteem issues um, because I was an overweight child. Mm-hmm. So that kind of just stuck with me, you know, like mm-hmm. the comments and things like that. So I was always there, but then you take that, you take that sort of negative self-image that you already have of yourself. Now you put yourself into this corporate environment where you are the young black woman and yeah. probably the only one on the team. And then it's just, it plays with your head. It plays with your security levels. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. So, so, it, and that's just kind of how it goes, right? You have these things in childhood that you're already kind of dealing with mm-hmm. in comparison to others. Everybody else is smaller. Everybody else is prettier. Everybody else is smarter than me. Everybody has more of whatever than I have or better than I have. And if it's not corrected or addressed or even acknowledged um, in healthy ways, then it just follows us into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I experienced that, so many times I thought, I am not supposed to be in this boardroom. I'm not supposed to be at this table. Right. Why the hell am I here? How did I make it this far? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the other thing is, right, when you when you are a high achiever, mm-hmm. at least for me, you're used to being at the top, right? Yes. And then you get to this next level of corporate and everybody's a high achiever. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I was I thought I was it. Like, <laughs> what you mean there's somebody that's better than me? <laughs> is that possible? Like I'm not understanding it. It's not comprehending in my mind. Mm-hmm. So it's that piece as well. Now being around all these other high achieving women. In, in corporate and how do you deal with that? All of that. <laughs> yeah. So in your own journey, talk to me about any mental and emotional challenges that you experienced mm-hmm. um, while you were in the pharmacy world. So my time in pharmacy in, in Big Pharma was a very, like I say, trying time. Um, it started off like any normal job. And, and as I, as I started to just realize that I wasn't at that time, I didn't feel like I fit in at all. Um, even in the role, what I was asked to do, I just didn't fit in. And having that feeling of not fitting in, having the, the imposter syndrome, having the, the self-talk, it just kind of all came crashing down on me. And I remember, I'll give you three instances that stick out in my mind in my time in corporate. I was at a work conference or whatever. And, you know, they do round tables and, you know, let's mock role play. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets a chance to mock role play. Hate it, those. Oh, my gosh. So this one time, it's like seven of us. And they're doing like person to person to person. And I'm literally like sitting there shaking. And it gets to me and I bolt out the room. <laughs> like I bolt out the room in tears because I had gotten so much panic around now I have imposter syndrome already. Now you want me to show it and people are gonna like critique me in this small intimate group. Oh no, Erica was out. 
So that was like the, the first thing that happened to me in terms of realizing that this role was having an impact on me mm-hmm. mentally. Um, the second thing was because I was in a role that required a lot of travel, I ended up developing blood clots. So I had the travel, the stress, 30 years, 30 something years old, blood clots. I'm out on medical leave and I'm just thinking this cannot be life, right? This can't be life. Like you shouldn't have blood clots at this, this age, you're healthy. And at that point I started to question like, is there something else I can be doing? Is there something else I should be doing with my life? I didn't quit. <laughs> at that point I still didn't quit. So I returned back to work and I think maybe a year or two later, I was on a work trip in California. And I remember being in my beautiful hotel suite, balcony, looking at the wonderful people on the beach. And here I am climbing or leaning over the ledge, ready to just mm-hmm. end it. Because I was just tired of, I was tired of me, I guess it was. I was tired of me being sad and upset and in tears and just so unhappy that I thought that was what was gonna, what I needed to do. So I just have a question. So you're dealing with, you're getting the physical presentations of, of stress, of burnout, maybe overwhelm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're dealing with the internal imposter syndrome and self-esteem issues. And then all of that stress leading to thoughts of just wanting to, to exit the pain, suicide, exactly. right? Just want to, don't necessarily want to die, just don't want to exist like this every day. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Black woman working in corporate America, working in a male-dominated field, at least I think it's a male-dominated field. I don't know. You know what the funny thing is? It's my role is more women, actually. More women. Okay. And so um, was it a predominantly white space? It was. And so just out of curiosity, was any of what you were going through also impacted by the fact that you didn't have a lot of people that look like you that you could go to for support and understanding? Just, I don't know, that's just out of curiosity. I don't know if that led to it, Mm -hmm. but that was the scenario that I was living in, right? That was your, that was your, that was your reality reality at the time. Mm -hmm. Like in my career, I think I have, I have had one black boss that was my direct boss mm-hmm. in 16 years within corporate. Mm-hmm. And that lasted maybe six months. Jeez. I asked that Erica, because when I worked in predominantly white spaces mm-hmm. and I was stressed to the point of like having upset stomach, migraines, insomnia, uh, all the, all the things And I didn't have somebody, you know, that I could go to or that would even just notice. Sometimes we just know because we know each, you know, mm-hmm. girl, I got you if you need anything. Like, you know, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Yeah. Just somebody that just knows what it's like. Mm-hmm. And then having work in having that short spout, you know, periods where I did have that, it made all the difference. I could get through anything. Mm-hmm. Just having that sister check on me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think the good thing in my space is because there were so few of us mm-hmm. that when you did have that type of environment, when I did have other people on my team, we tended to bond. Like there are people yes. that I work with in my first career that are still, you know, I still keep in contact with. Um, yeah. Even a few days ago, there is a, a young lady who's a black, um, a black woman in my space. Mm-hmm. And I'm connecting her with other black women in the space because she didn't have anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted to have that connection to understand how it is to be in big pharma as a black woman. Oh, that's it's good. important to make those connections. It is, it is. So you're on the balcony, mm-hmm. getting back to that. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is like serious yeah. crisis. And I mean, that's when we talk about pain, that's, that's the worst kind of pain that, I mean, that's like, I can't take this shit in, anymore. And, and I'm done. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, you know, the funny thing about that is people in my family didn't even know about that moment until I started doing my podcast Mm. last year. Mm -hmm. So um, except for my sister, but she said she doesn't even remember. But anyway, so what stopped me was my sister actually called me. Mm. And so that is what stops me. And she puts my niece on the phone. Your sister's an angel. I know, right? Mm. I love my sister. I love you. (laughs) But she put my niece on the phone and I remember bawling and being in tears and having your your niece, you know, the one that you're supposed to be taking care of, the one that you're supposed to be setting an example for, having her trying to calm me down Mm -hmm. was, I think, my light bulb moment like this needs to change. Um, so that was one of the big things that that happened during that moment. And when I say people didn't know about that, my husband had no idea mm-hmm. that I was on the ledge mm-hmm. until literally I started doing the podcast last year. Because you don't want to tell people like, yeah, I wanted to, you know, end it all. Like, who does that? Like, <laughs> why would you want to share that moment? It's hard. It is. Um, and also... Erica, I don't know if this resonates, but like for me and for other people that I know, because I'm a suicide attempt survivor as well. And for other people that I know, because I was always the strong one Mm -hmm. and the fixer and the rescuer, and I was always getting my education, doing a new project, doing, going after a new thing, even though I held a lot of pain and childhood trauma it wasn't evident just on presentation. Oh yeah. So no one knew, even people that were closest to me when I was at that point as well. Mm -hmm. I hate it well. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, at least for me, you know, people looking at my life. Yeah. Even though like, oh, you're just mad at your job. You know, you're just having a bad day. You got a car, you got a corporate car, you got the corporate car. They're sending you different places. You're traveling. You're Girl, that's amazing. You having fun all the things that they think are success or the definition of success, it kind of covers it. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not the case, but they can't see beyond kind of the surface of what you're, what you're living. Nope. Nope. Mm -hmm. Um, And most people didn't know about my suicide attempt until I published my book. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't look like what I've been through bitches. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, so, so you, 
I don't know. I, I just want to take a moment and honor your sister and your niece, because as you were sharing that, what came to mind is that in that moment and on that balcony, the universe or God or, or whatever, your ancestors, somebody was like, she just needs to be loved. Mm-hmm. And we're going to send her love. And yeah. so even though it was, I, I, I hear you saying, well, it's my niece and she's the one that, you know, you needed to be loved in that moment. And that's what you got. Yeah. Was loved and heard. Mm-hmm. You are not going to make me cry today. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but it's, it's, it's beautiful how it happened right at that pivotal, yeah. that pivotal moment. And it happened the way it was supposed to happen with your sister and your niece being right there. Right. Kind of just saying, tell me where it hurts. Mm-hmm. And you're able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I get from it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so you go through this, what happens after that? So you would think that after that, I would get back home and be like, here's my pink slip. I quit. I'm done. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, no. Okay. I y'all, I'm, I like to do stuff different apparently. Mm-hmm. So I ended up actually, okay. So after that, I came back and I think at that point, I started, you know, wanting to actually dig into what else can I do with my life? There has got to be something else. So I started working with a coach. Um, I think maybe, I think during the either blood clot or right to that, I started working with a therapist. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the, the time frame, but I started to look, started to reach out to get other people to help me in my situation, to help me move forward because I was not able to do that on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. And just really trying to look back over my life mm-hmm. and really find Erica, like who she was. Where was that girl back in the day that would pull out a blanket in the living room and get the microphone and record herself singing Whitney Houston or something? Like where was that fun, energetic girl? Because she was no longer there. Mm-hmm. So that was really the immediate work that I started to do was just working on myself. That's amazing. Um, especially when you, when you talk about rediscovering and finding Erica again, Mm -hmm. let me go back and introduce, can we meet, can we talk? Right. Right. (laughs) Where you at Erica? Like, (laughs) I love that. Uh, and, and having a coach and having a therapist during that time, after, after, you know, those, those really serious thoughts of wanting to end your life and all of the things did you ever experience like having any just internal shame over that moment and just all the things that you had been going through I think there was it was internal shame that was probably a product of society right oh speaks to that and it was the shame of Number one, well, you picked this career, mm-hmm. you know, you should be able to handle it, mm-hmm. you know, or number two, well, you're the smart girl. This is what you, you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. You're strong. Your family raised you to be a strong woman. You should be able to just handle it. Like, yeah, it's hard, but push through, mm-hmm. you know, people think of quitting as a weakness, but for me, quitting was my strength because it, it gave me me back. Um, 
there was shame just around, I don't want to say being ungrateful, because I think that's what I thought people would say. Like you got to this pinnacle in your life, in this career, how can you not be grateful for where you are? You know what I mean? And it wasn't that I was, wasn't grateful. I was very happy with the things that this career had afforded me financially, but I wasn't happy with what it was giving to my life mentally, physically, and emotionally. You just said a mouthful. (laughs) Like seriously. (laughs) So because it's like that, 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 that we call it in, in my, in my world, that polarization of, yeah, I've got this and I'm, I'm grateful for this, but this is also going on and I can't ignore this other part. Right. Right. I can't ignore these other emotions and things that I'm battling with because that is, is what is causing me to change because I'm, you know, there's some uncomfortableness that's going on right now. Yeah. So so I've got to acknowledge, yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's not all that there is, you know, that I'm dealing with. Right. Um, can you talk more about your decision to, to pivot or to change careers and what that was just Mm. what that was like? That was, that was hard. (laughs) That was, that was hard. Um, It was more hard to just say that that was my decision. Right. Um, because again, you spent, I spent 11 years of my life in school. Mm-hmm. So why would I throw that away? Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard because what will you tell your colleagues when you put in your notice? Because all the time you put in a notice, people call you, girl, where are you going? What company are you going to? And I'm like, I'm not going to a company. I'm going to start my own business. <laughs> <laughs> That's like how I was saying. I was like, I'm going to start my business and I would sit back and wait for people to say something like, are you crazy? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so all those things were hard. Right. But what was great was, and I think what, what made me know that I was on the right path was when I was having those conversations with my colleagues, mm-hmm. so many women were like, oh my gosh, I want to do something like that. Like, I just, I, I want to go out on my own. I want to start my own business. You are so brave and courageous. You give me hope. That right there just fueled me up to continue the process and continue to go down this route of entrepreneurship because I knew that women like me that were in corporate needed to see this. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in corporate, you don't see these, these types of stories. You don't see these women making these transitions. So at that point, I knew that my entire confused winding road of a journey that led to a ledge yeah. was for a point. Yeah. So there was, I imagine, you know, we go through phases of, of sharing our truth and our journey. Some things we have to keep really close, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there's, okay, you talk to your husband. What was, that, what, what was that like? Well, he was pushing me. Let me tell you. Okay. okay. <laughs> Literally, I would come home from work trips and everything. And he'd be like, did you quit today? The next, did you quit today? I'm like, babe. <laughs> So he was all for it. And we, you know, we planned it out. It wasn't like I just up and it mm-hmm. sounds like it, but it wasn't like Wednesday. I just said, I'm quitting. Sure. We planned for it. We planned financially for it. We planned, you know, for the, the process of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he was all on board. And you're right, it was a, a, a phase or a process of telling people. So he was the first one, obviously. Mm-hmm. I told my mom, my niece and my sister, because mm-hmm. I knew they'd be cool with it. Mm-hmm. The hardest one was my father. Mm-hmm. Because um, my dad has always, always, even when I was a little kid, been the guy that always had a job, right? No matter what, he had a job. And he would always say, you don't leave a job until you have a job. Mm-hmm. You have a job that's making money, has benefits. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm leaving this corporate job to start a company mm-hmm. that's completely different from what I do. So it wasn't like I had this base of 10 million followers and all that kind of stuff. I'm literally starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. What's my dad going to say? Is he going to be like mad at me? Is he going to yell at me? What's going to happen? So I, I had to come up with a plan, right? Because I, I needed to make sure that he couldn't yell at me in public or like I had to put some security blocks around me. So I did it on the way to the gym because we like to go to the gym. He likes me to be his pseudo personal trainer. Okay. So I knew that if I told him on the way, mm-hmm. he wouldn't do anything because he still wanted me to work with him. Mm-hmm. So in the car on the way to the gym, I said, dad, I have something to tell you. And I started to tell him and I'm starting to cry and tears are pouring out my face of how I, how unhappy I was. And, um, you know, just, I'm leaving corporate, blah, 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 blah. And I was afraid to tell you. And then he starts to cry. Well, let me back up. Cause he might listen to this. He starts to mist in his eyes. Like there was something in his eye. Okay. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't know why you would be afraid to tell me this. Like, I'm proud of you, whatever you do. Mm. And I just want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I want you to, to do the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. So that was the hardest conversation and the best conversation in this process. And he is now probably one of my biggest fans mm-hmm. and listens to everything and finds me everywhere. And he's just very supportive. Okay. And then, so your dad was, that was the hardest conversation to have, but it was in that moment, he, he showed up in a major way and said, you know what? I'm proud of you. Like you, it, it doesn't even matter. Like, I love you. I'm proud of you. And and you're going to be great. You know? And so, um, how was it? Shout out to dad for being an amazing dad. Yay, daddy. Your family, come on. <laughs> I have an amazing Love family. it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when we talk to coworkers and we share, well, you know, putting in my notice, mm-hmm. did you keep your plans to yourself mm-hmm. or did you share with a couple of people, well, this is what I've got going on and how was that received from, from work? Because sometimes you can get good, you know, really great support and sometimes mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of fear <laughs> a little bit of criticism. What was that like? As far as my immediate colleagues that I told, mm-hmm. I kept it close to the chest. Like yeah. I didn't proactively tell everybody. Yeah. You know, there were a handful of, of girls that I was really close with and I told them and they were very supportive. Um, the other people I didn't tell mm-hmm. at all. Um, even when it comes to like my broader pharmacy family, mm-hmm. I didn't really tell them all either. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was a a factor of 
fear or a factor. No, I'm, I'm going to take that back. It wasn't a factor of fear. It was a factor of, it was my business and I was quitting my job for my own sanity and what I wanted to do in my life. And that's why I didn't tell everybody. Yeah. And they don't deserve. Yeah. <laughs> one, you can't. One, they're, they're not always safe people and it's just not their business. Right. So anybody listening out there and you're thinking, oh, I have to, you know, when they ask, well, why are you quitting? You have to tell them your well laid out plan. No, you don't. Mm-mm. Keep it close to your chest. Not everything is for everybody. Right. So my husband and I, we had a plan and that was all that needed to happen was we had a plan. That's it. Financially. People, well, how are you going to pay your bills? We got it. Are you going to pay them? Okay, no, we got it. (laughs) You're speaking to somebody today. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads me to my follow-up. So when you think about, you know, right now I'm thinking about women that I know that are in jobs and they're, they're not satisfied and, and they're wanting to pivot. Um, I left working for the military and then became a therapist. And that was, that was a scary decision. And people are like, Oh my God, you know, how, how are you going to make it? What do you, what are you, what are you going to, I'm like, I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be fine. It's totally different, but I'm good. Uh, when you think about people, you know, and, and think about where you were in your left life in that scary moment, what piece of advice would you give to women or to anybody that's working in a job where they're not happy, they're stressed out physically, mentally, emotionally drained, but they're afraid? What would you say to them? Ooh. A lot, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing I would, I would want to say don't be afraid. Like I want to say it's easy, mm-hmm. but I would, I would say you're going to have to do it afraid. That's just the bottom line. You, you have to just jump. You have to do it afraid because you won't gain the courage and the confidence to do it until you just do it. Mm-hmm. And you have to just know within yourself that there is something, if you're having that, that push and pull of I'm not happy there, I'm, I'm miserable. There has to be something bigger that you are here for, that you are not listening to, that you are being called to every day. Yeah. And it's time to listen to it. Yeah. I I think that Erica to when I would go to work and I had X amount of meetings and I had all the things, you know, and Mm -hmm. the, the executive office and all of that stuff. Um, and, but I dreaded I'd get up in the morning, like, oh my God, I don't want to go to work today. Yeah. And, and now living a life in which I absolutely love my job and and you do have to do it afraid. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be scary because you've not done it before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's fear is okay. You work through that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, you got a coach. Mm-hmm. You were in therapy. You had supportive people around you. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, you're literally laying out the blueprint for this is how you conquer your fear. Yeah. And get reintroduced to who you really are. And I, you know, the other thing I think, I think when we're young, our values are defined, at least some of our values are defined for us, right? And the, yeah. one of those values, like we talked about, is go to school and get that yes. good job and make the money. Yes. And as we get older, I don't think we even think about readdressing that. Right. And thinking about what do you as the adult Tasha 
Right. What do you value now? What's important to you? you know, and really start to really sit in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it may be money. It may be. Money's good. Right. Money, you know, but maybe in this point in your life, you know, making, being in the two comma club may not be important right now. Maybe it's something else. Not to say it won't change over time because it does. Yeah. But just knowing what's, what's important to you right now. Is it your health? Is it more time with your kids? All of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's the stuff that's going to matter. Right. And when you were going through, and even now, um, what's one of the things that literally like saved your life, gave you joy um, in your life during the most difficult times? During the most difficult times? Mm-hmm. Now? Now or, or even in the past, were there any hobbies, things that you got involved in? So the things that, when I was in corporate that gave me like life for days, Mm -hmm. I am actually, I didn't think this because I'm a scientific person, but I think I have a little bit of a creative bone in me. So I love dancing. So taking Zumba, I also became a Zumba instructor. So I was teaching Zumba for a while. That was the joy of my life. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think that brings me joy and kind of helps me uh, express the creative side is that I do cosplay. So that is like creativity, meditation, happiness, Mm -hmm. confidence builder, all in one. Yeah. Um, And then my yoga and my meditation. That's amazing. Like we talked before for years, I've just kind of been stalking the cosplay community. Haven't shared that with anybody yet. Just, you know, (laughs) just, I, I don't have anybody or hadn't had anybody in my life in the past that really wanted to go to a cosplay convention. Mm-hmm. Hope that comes back at some point so I can attend. Um, didn't have anybody interested in, in kind of playing dress up and, and mm-hmm. tapping into pleasure, sexuality, uh, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, just fun in, in that way so I'm looking forward to being involved in that. Talk to me about what cosplay has meant to you and, and how you found yourself in that community. Yeah, so it, it kind of ties back to that question of you know um, outside opinion, right? Because mm-hmm. I think cosplay gave me that seed that I needed to grow inside of me to be like, screw what you think. Um, so let me back up a little bit. <laughs> how I got into cosplay was my hubby is a Transformers toy collector, toy photographer, comic book person. And one of his dreams was to go to New York Comic Con. I had never heard any of this stuff before him, but I'm like, cool, trip to New York. All right, we can do that. It's New York. I'm not going to turn that down. So since we're going to New York Comic Con, I guess I'll dress up. I mean, I feel kind of silly, but I'll do it. So I legit did like the most low impact cosplay I did Ironheart. It was literally a tank top and sweatpants. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down the streets of New York like, are people looking at me? Because they had like the Iron Man symbol on the, on the chest. I'm like, are people looking at me? Oh my gosh, I feel so crazy, blah, 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 blah. We get there and we get to the Javits Center and I see all these amazing people in all these amazing costumes that they've either bought, made, had made, different shapes of people, colors of people, you know, just 
everything. And everyone just being so supportive, everyone not caring what anybody else thought, everybody just living their life in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have found my people. This is amazing. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Um, go ahead. I, so I just, I was just kind of lost in just even imagining that. And something just popped into my head, Erica, because I started thinking, what if cosplay is also how adults heal and love on their inner child? Mm. I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that a concept with cos? Just tapping back in to that play, just uh-huh. that, cre- again, that creativity and just, you can be anything you right. want to be. You can do anything just tapping into that because as children, we have that. Yeah. And then the older we get fear and shame and anxiety and all the other things kind of, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's what it was for me. It gave me that confidence to say, you can do anything because even in that space of cosplay or people who were questioning that, like, why would, it's not Halloween. Why are you dressing up? Like, why are you doing all this? That's for kids. And it gave me that, that energy to say, you know what? You may not like it, but I love it. And it makes me happy and it brings me joy. And that's what was important to me was being able to have that, that sense of self-security. That's exactly, I mean, I think even though I've always, I, I didn't have anybody to go with now I'm so interested in, in just being, and I know we talked uh, offline before, like, and you said, you know, if you ever want to go, let me yes. know. Yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. Um, that is the plan. I'm going to learn because that would be me. I'd just have on like some jeans and a, and, <laughs> yeah. and still be self-conscious. Like, oh my hey, God. Right, right, right. Yes. I went from that to being Jessica Rabbit. I mean, like. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that I didn't, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't matter. No. You don't need that. That's place to just go exist, to have fun, where, where you can just be among, among other people and your title doesn't matter. Right. Right. Because nobody knew I was a pharmacist. And there's right. so many people that I have met. Like there's a doctor who cosplays, there's lawyers, and you would never know that because we're just being us. We That's aren't it. being our titles. That's it. That's it. So I know that you're a, a coach and a consultant. Can you talk about, um, I guess my question is, and I I do want you to talk about your work now. Did your own journey of rediscovering who you are lead to that? And, and like, you know, I guess talk about that journey of becoming a coach and consultant and what inspired you. So (laughs) If you haven't learned anything about me yet on this this podcast, you'll understand that I take winding roads Mm -hmm. again. So when I became a coach, it was really to work with women that want to make career transitions, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where I was. I wanted to be able to help them find their way, find their path, because I wanted to help. I don't want to say free them, but just help bring them back to who they really wanted to be without the outside expectations. Mm. That's kind of how the business started. And if anyone is an entrepreneur out there, you know that entrepreneurship is a journey and things change and fluctuate over time. And that's really what's been happening over this first year of my business. 
And what I found is that, yes, I want to work with those women, but there's also a piece of me that I was leaving out. And that was just my own innate talent of being an organizer, planner, methodical person by nature. Okay. And so now what I am doing is I, I'm combining both of those skill sets. So my focus is really helping budding entrepreneurs find the time, space, and capacity mm-hmm. to have the life and business that they want. So going from frazzled and frustrated to actually fulfilled and productive and peaceful and prosperous in their business and life. I know so many women that need the exact service you're offering. I love it. Yeah. I cannot wait to share share one, this episode to all of your, your information. Uh, Is there anything, any, any books or eBooks or products that you want to just let listeners know that are available? Sure. Um, there are actually a few things on my website. If you go to, can I give the website? Absolutely. It's uh, Dr. Erica Free Gift. And so there is an ebook. So if you're at the stage of like, I still have my corporate job, I'm trying to think of, I don't know what I want to do. I'm kind of scared. This ebook has the stories of 12 women who either did career transitions or they have found a way to incorporate life into their business or they rediscovered their joy and they talk about their, their journey, their, their trials, their successes. There's also, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's also a document uh, there for uh, budding entrepreneurs where it is the 12 mistakes to avoid as a budding entrepreneur, because we can get trapped in a lot of things just because we're just starting out. We want to grab everything, do everything, listen to everybody and forget your own voice. Mm-hmm. So there's a document there for you. I sure did need that one. Because <laughs> I just kind of jumped out there like. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, I did the same thing. Like I was, I call it like the, the information hoarder. Mm-hmm. That was me. Like everything yep. that was free, I was like, I got to do it. Oh, they said, do this. I got to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely needed that. And now I just have some, um, some fun questions. Okay. I like fun questions. So if you're in the mood to dance, you want to move your body. Uh-huh. If that's even something that you do, uh, <laughs> then what kind of music are you listening to? Okay. So I'm a music lover. Like I love all music. Mm-hmm. So it will either be like old school hip hop. Cause mm-hmm. I'm a nineties girl. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's my, that's my jam. Mm-hmm. It'll be old school hip hop. Go, go reggae or r&b let me go to spotify and look up some go-go music that's a new one tell you you don't know about go-go not really oh three in the morning the pancake okay i can't okay okay (laughs) i'm going i'm not going to scare your audience with my singing but yeah go-go if you're from dmv area you know what go-go is Okay, I, I, I am going to look up some go-go music. I have a, a playlist on Spotify specifically that helps me move my body. So I've got the old school old school hip hop. Mm-hmm. I've got new school artists up there, people that I, I, these young folks listen to. It, I mean, it's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's reggae. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's all kinds of stuff. Yes. Anything that, that just kind of prompts me 
to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all over the place. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah. excited about that. I even got some country music up there. I got all kind of rock music, everything. Yeah. Now I'm getting to like African beats, like African. Yes. Yes, that's my new thing. Now. Same. Same. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then if uh, who makes you, who or what makes you laugh? My hubby. Okay. <laughs> awesome. And then who or what inspires you? Who? Who or what inspires me? I think seeing women take over the world and in business inspires me and motivates me. Because mm -hmm. I just want to see it happen more and more. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates. I love that. Yeah. And the last question is for anybody that has heard your story, they want to connect with you to be their coach or their consultant as, as they're attempting to pivot, where can they find you? So you can head over to my website. That's Dr. Erica by design. And as far as social media, I am pivoting to IG. So I'm on IG at Dr. Erica by design as well. And if you're a clubhouse person, I do host some rooms over there as well. So you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. I love this interview. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yes. Thank you for joining me this week on When We Speak. Please make sure you visit the website at TashaHunterAuthor.com. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, I would appreciate leaving a rating. It will help others find the show more easily and hopefully be a benefit to them as well.